G'day and welcome to the City on a Hill podcast. I'm Guy, Senior Pastor of City on a Hill, a movement of churches across Australia united around the central mission of knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. Whether you're on your morning commute or sitting down with a warm cup of coffee, I hope this message fuels your faith, hope and love. And while we're here, let me encourage you to prayerfully consider supporting this ministry. You can do that by heading to cityonahill.com.au. God bless. Look forward to connecting soon. Matthew 25, starting at verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Nick. As Nick uh, mentioned earlier, I am not originally from Geelong. I did grow up in Melbourne, uh, not too far from here, actually, around Dandenong and Ringwood areas. Uh, And one thing that you get to know quickly when you move to Geelong is that distance has a different value. Uh, People would tell me that I would know I was settled in Geelong uh, when I started complaining that going 15 minutes seemed too far. Uh, You grow up in Melbourne, you're used to going from one side of the town to the other. Trips can take hours depending on traffic. Traffic also doesn't exist in Geelong. Uh, But a byproduct of this is that because people are so close and because uh, things are so close, you get a a phenomenon that we encountered when we got to Geelong called the pop-in. Uh, This doesn't happen in Melbourne because you need to plan when you're going to visit somebody. You're not going to drive 45 minutes to a mate's house on the chance that they might be home. But in Geelong, uh, if your neighbour is just five minutes down the road or they're on the way home from work, you might just pop by, knock on the door and see if they're there. Why not? Uh, It's a strange occurrence. And it's this idea that we're going to be encountering in uh, the, the parable that we're looking at today. Today. Because when you're in Geelong, you always need to be ready for this potential pop-by. Uh, I think people uh, learnt that Nemo and I weren't these people, that we didn't grow up here and that we weren't quite ready for that. So it slowed a little bit after we first arrived. But we quickly learnt that uh, our house needed to be ready for guests at any time. Uh, that any time this pop-by could happen, so we needed to be on top of the cleaning. Uh, my wife likes the house to look a certain way, so uh, we have weekly cleaning tasks that we uh, that we do, uh, most of the time at least, uh, and to make sure that we're ready for these guests. Jesus, in this parable, is giving the warning. 
Uh, he's giving a warning to his people. He doesn't want them to be caught by surprise when uh, this coming event that he's going to talk to us about comes. Because it is coming. It is coming and he wants his people to be ready. So I want to work through with you this parable, this story, unpack what it is that he's actually uh, talking about and what this story is telling us, and then highlight three things that we can take from it, three things that can help us answer the questions that this parable is asking. With me? All right. Uh, Verse 1, we start at the start of our passage, and the parable gets introduced to us as being set in a wedding. Jesus tells the people listening that he is describing, that he's illustrating a picture using a feast to paint a picture of the kingdom of heaven. Verse 1, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Uh, I'm not sure what your summer has looked like, but for Nemer and I, it is, uh, seems to be at least peak uh, wedding season. And a lot of the weekends during summer, during this time of year, are taken up with wedding events. And I actually love weddings, so I enjoy this time of year. They're an incredible moment where you get to see uh, God working in the lives of two people, a man and a woman, coming together to declare their love for one another. And then there's the ceremony where you all celebrate in this love, and then the reception where there's the celebration and the party. My wife and I have been married for just over 10 years now, and I still look back to my wedding day as one of the best moments in my life. But as we we prepare to work through this parable, it's worthwhile understanding how uh, the picture of the wedding that Jesus is painting or Jesus is illustrating, using to illustrate in this parable is uh, different from those contemporary pictures of weddings that we'd have in our minds. They were absolutely still a celebration and absolutely still full of joy, but they did things slightly uh, differently. To think about that, consider the picture you have in your mind of the start of a ceremony. Uh, there's, it's usually a picture of an anxious groom shifting from one foot to the other, uh, nervously waiting to see when his bride is going to arrive. Let's be honest, up to this point on the day, uh, the groom hasn't done a whole lot. He's just kind of rocked up to the church, but hopefully got dressed, but hasn't put a lot of effort in. But uh, as he comes to the chapel, as he stands up in front of everyone, he's starting now to feel the weight of the occasion. He knows the bride is supposed to be fashionably late, but how late is too late? When should he start to worry? Surely she should be here by now. Uh, On my own wedding day, I went out for breakfast. I hung out with my brothers and a couple of mates, realised I was almost going to be the one that was going to be late. So we quickly got dressed, uh, got into the chapel, and it did really feel like forever waiting in front of all these people to see when uh, Nema, my wife, was going to show up. But in the time of this parable, it worked slightly differently. There was no relaxing drinking coffee in the morning for the groom. On his wedding day, he'd be at home helping to prepare the wedding feast that was going to follow in the celebration after. 
Then after a time, he would go over to the bride's house and the bridesmaids would come out to meet him along the way and guide him to the house. And once the wedding ceremony was done, they would lead everybody through the town in a massive celebration of what had happened and what had occurred. You'd have crowds of people cheering, wedding guests dancing through the streets and everyone looking forward to the wedding feast. And it's these bridesmaids, uh, the bridesmaids that lead the groom to the house that are the first characters we meet in our story today. Read with me again from verse two, uh, from verse one. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Virgins in the story, picture of uh, the bridesmaids. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. The ten virgins or the ten bridesmaids are all very similar. They all look alike. They all look like they're part of the wedding party and they all have lamps, but there was a clear difference between the two groups. The group of bridesmaids who represent a wise character with extra oil supplies and the other group of bridesmaids who represent a foolish character without the extra reserves. And as they're maybe discussing these differing preparation strategies amongst one another, maybe they've uh, encountered cost of living pressures and they're discussing the rising price of oil and that was the factor in why they uh, didn't have extra that day, they realise that this is taking a little longer than normal. This shouldn't, the uh, the bridegroom probably should have arrived by now. So verse 5, as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. The bridegroom has been delayed. The parable doesn't say why. Maybe he was getting cold feet. Maybe he did decide to have that morning coffee. But for whatever reason, he was delayed. He doesn't come when they were expecting. In fact, it was so late they all became drowsy and fell asleep. But verse 6, but at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. There's a problem with that though, isn't there? Our foolish group didn't bring any extra oil, so they weren't ready for this delay. They weren't ready for the arrival that came later than expected. The groom is there. He's finally got over his nerves and finished his last cup of coffee. Uh, hopefully not coffee, actually, because it's midnight now. But, but <laughs> he's arrived and the foolish bridesmaids realise they don't have enough oil to last them through the whole celebration. So what are they to do? Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. Uh, When I was reading through this passage in preparation for today, my first uh, reaction or my first instinct when reading through this part was it seems kind of harsh. It seems almost a little selfish that they wouldn't just share a little bit of oil. But what I think the wise group had worked out was that if they shared their oil, chances were that at some point in the night there was going to be no lamps that all of the oil would have gone out and it was better to at least have some lamps that were working. So we have this foolish group now, frantic, running around trying to find some oil, trying to work out what they're going to do about their situation. 
While they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. So the foolish group are out there. They're desperately trying to find some oil so they can join in on this wedding celebration, the party. But while they're gone, the wedding ceremony has happened and the feast has started without them. Everything was ready to go. The food was warm. The music was pumping. Everyone else was there. The celebration had to go on. So verse 11, afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Ouch. <laughs> this is an intense finish with all the anticipation of a great feast, an epic celebration. We're met with a brutal end that deliberately leaves us questioning what we're to make of this story. How do we understand this seemingly brutal and harsh and intense ending? And what do we make of the story of a whole? Well, the first key to answering that question is a distinguishing feature. Uh, an important part in understanding any of Jesus' parables is recognising who the characters in the story represent. The bridesmaids in the story today stand out from the crowd. They look different to them. As the processional uh, dances its way through the town, onlookers would know who they are. They stood out from the rest of the pack and they're identifiable. People would recognise when they saw this group, they are the bridesmaids. These bridesmaids that Jesus has introduced into his story are meant to be a picture of the church, a picture of the followers of Jesus. And there is a sense that the church today should stand out in some way as well. There should be a recognisable difference between the church and the world that it exists in. There should be a recognisable difference in the way a follower of Jesus lives their life and someone who doesn't yet know him. The way the church and the people in it thinks, acts, speaks, relates, should stand out. In John's account of Jesus' life, he records Jesus explaining this idea to his followers uh, by saying this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my, my disciples if you have love for one another. The way that we love one another should stand out. The way that we act should be recognisable as this person loves in such a radical way that they must know Jesus. For better or for worse, the way we conduct ourselves is seen, whether that is corporately as the church or individuals at home, work, study or play. Our conduct is seen. Jesus calls his followers to something more than chasing after the things of the world and looking the same as everyone else. What we do matters. What we do matters. Yet, if the bridesmaids are the church, how do we get the situation from verse 11 
where some of them are excluded from the feast. If this whole group is the church, why only a part of them are celebrating at the end? These bridesmaids looked the part. They had their bridesmaid dresses. They were at the right place. To everyone that looked at them, they would have assumed that they were going to be celebrating with them. When it came time for the feast, when it came time for the party and the celebration, people would have looked at this whole group and expected them all to be there. And yet, verse 11 Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. It seems jarring at first that this group uh, of bridesmaids would be excluded just for being late. I've spent, uh, just come back from a year living in Tanzania, and uh, the concepts of punctuality are very different there. I've come to learn that uh, lateness is understood differently in different places. But this, in this passage, this is not a contextual mystery where lateness has only recently become more acceptable. This exclusion was meant to sound intense. It was meant to be and would have been heard as shocking as if to waken from a slumber of either passing through and uh, a passive drifting on the coattails of Christian family members and friends or to, to electrocute minds that deny the reality of a coming judgment, Jesus is screaming from the rooftops, be ready. Be ready and there is only one way that can be done. The bridesmaids looked the part, but there was one distinguishing feature. For the bridesmaids in this story, it was their their oil reserves, the fact that they had extra oil. As much as the way we think, act, speak and relate does matter, as much as we should stand out from the world and look different, The distinguishing feature that will decide your place at the feast of heaven is whether your faith is in Jesus. We are saved from being on the wrong side of this judgment by a belief that Jesus is who he says he is, that he has done what he said he has done, and that he will do what he promises will come. Full stop. Notice what it looks like, though, for the wise bridesmaids to have this distinguishing feature. They don't hide their oil flasks away to be handed over once they've arrived and once they've accepted their place at the feast. No, they put them to use. The second key to answering the question this parable poses is distinguishing action. As soon as required, the bridesmaids use the oil to keep their lamps alight. Their distinguishing feature is active and it impacts their actions. This is the contrast that reverses the problem the foolish bride, bridesmaids have been hit with. Where the foolish uh, group, where the foolish bridesmaids only looked the part, the wise bridesmaids still acted, but only in light of their distinguishing feature. 
It's a fine line to walk, but an, uh, an important distinction to understand that as someone who is saved by Jesus, our actions are different, not that we act different, so we are saved by Jesus. Uh, in a book of the Bible that Jesus' brother James wrote, he writes a lot about the problem of hypocrisy in followers of Jesus and the reality that sometimes it just doesn't look like those actions have changed. He simply can't fathom and will not accept that anyone who has been given this free gift of grace, of being welcomed into this eternal celebration, could not be transformed by what they've received. He summarises it uh, incredibly well in chapter 2 by saying the only faith that works is a faith that works. So what does this look like? How do those two uh, tensions hold together? If the distinguishing feature that matters is whether our faith is in Jesus, how do we also be ready, as Jesus uh, says in verse 13, and demonstrate distinguishing action? Well, this parable we're looking at this morning is actually uh, a parable in the middle of three parables. Unfortunately, they, they, those other two help give us the information to understand what's going on here. The parable previous to this one has introduced the idea that there is a judgment coming, that you won't know the exact time that it's coming, and not everyone is going to receive the same judgment. Our parable that we're looking at is fleshing that idea out and giving us the information we need to make sure we're on the right side of that judgment. And then the third parable uh, provides information around what it looks like to be using our faith, to be ready and waiting, to be watchful and active. It's the parable of the talents where each is given a measure and there's an expectation that will put that measure to use and uh, see that it produces a return. Each of us as people who have put their faith in Jesus are given skills, gifts, talents. They're going to look different for each person. Each person is going to have a different measure, but whatever that looks like, the expectation is that it will be put to you so that it produces a return. Jesus called to you as someone who has put their faith in him is to live out and enjoy your life, to be fruitful in whatever pursuit it is that you uh, can be using those things he has given you, to be putting them to use in the building up of the church, to be putting them to use in the building up of brothers and sisters in faith, to depend on your faith when times are difficult and it's not easy to trust that Jesus really is coming back, to celebrate your faith when you see God is working in your life and helping you overcome things you want to see gone in your life. To live in the light of the reality that Jesus will return and your place at the feast is secure because your faith is in him. To live in light of the reality that Jesus will return and your place at his feast is secure because your faith is in him. As we close out our time together, it's worth considering one final key, that of a distinguishing feast. 
Because if this faith that we have is going to impact our whole lives, change the way that we live and change the way that we act in every part of life, it's worth considering and understanding that this future reality that Jesus has invited us to, that he has secured an invitation for, is actually worth the wait is actually worth going to because our picture of heaven can often be distorted. And the picture of heaven is exactly what Jesus is illustrating for us when he's using the wedding feast picture. I don't know if your home was the same as mine growing up, but uh, growing up, The Simpsons was allowed on our TV. Uh, The Simpsons have quite a few different pictures of heaven, but uh, a continual and lasting factor or a part of their picture is that it's always in the clouds uh, and always seems pretty boring. Uh, I remember one particular episode where the picture of heaven in the clouds again and all that was happening were very placid, polite games of croquet and badminton. (laughs) Maybe that is actually your idea of heaven. Uh, But to a teenage boy, it was not super appealing and tainted my idea of what heaven could really be like. But whatever conception of boring we may have for heaven, the Bible says the complete opposite. It describes the new heavens and the new earth as a massive banquet, a party, a feast that we don't want to miss. It is a hard uh, concept to comprehend. Uh, It's hard to understand exactly what this place is going to like, but Jesus calls it paradise. Just like a parable, the picture that a feast is meant to convey is that uh, a picture of a party, of abundance, of joy, of perfect relationship, something worth being, uh, somewhere worth being, somewhere worth the wait, somewhere you want to be. Maybe for you that's not actually a feast or a party, but the the idea of the picture is meant to be the same. Wherever you find joy, relationship, abundance, that is the picture God is giving you of eternity with Him. As we fumble our way through trying to decipher what exactly will and won't be in heaven, what heaven will and won't be like, Let's make sure not to get lost in the details. Let us not lose sight of the picture of joy it is to be with our Creator who has secured this place for us. If your faith is in Jesus, this is a day we look forward to. Where we are right now isn't heaven. Our best days are still to come. When Jesus returns and comes back to earth for the second time, he will welcome his bride. He will welcome his people into this eternal feast, an eternal celebration of joy. So as the band uh, comes up and we prepare to continue uh, worshipping this God who has prepared this feast, who has uh, prepared the way for us to be ready to enter in, Let me ask you the question that Jesus is posing. Are you ready? As you prepare to get into 2024 and you make your plans for the year, do your plans revolve around Him? 
do you map out your life based on Him and the uh, reality that we will be with Him again? Yes, we don't know the hour or the day He will return, but this is no Geelong popover. Jesus is screaming out a warning because He wants you at that party. He longs for you to join Him in that celebration. As you watch and wait, keep heart. He has prepared a place for you. To confidently walk into this celebration takes only a distinguishing faith. As a follower of Jesus, you can't drift towards an endpoint and find yourself in eternal relationship with God. The Christian life is a confident march with a secured endpoint only enabled because of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. You are who you say you are. Thank you that you have done what needs to be done, that through our faith in you and the reality that you died for us, you have made a way for us to enter into eternity with you. Lord, we long for that day. We look forward to that day where we meet you face to face and we celebrate, we feast. But Lord, until that day, we pray that we would be active, that we would be on mission for you. That the way we live out our lives would glorify you, would show to the world that we are a follower of Jesus a follower of the one worth following, a follower of the one who has made a way for us to be in eternal joy. We pray that through those actions, more and more people come to know the joy of being in relationship with You. We thank You, Lord, and pray in the Name of Jesus. Amen.